today on Ag News Daily. Even sequesters carbon. Um, so you can you can get carbon sequestration and actually help uh, mitigate climate change while you're while you're getting healthier crops and protecting your investment on your farm. Good afternoon and happy Tech Tuesday from the Ag News Daily podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I got to say, I drove in to my parents' house in the Dallas area yesterday. So I saw quite a bit of crop fields on the way in. Of course, I saw a ton of cotton in the Lubbock area, but I'm disappointed to say that I'm not so sure how our cotton crop is going to look this year. We had a lot of rain, surprisingly, this year, but nothing looks just too uniform from what I saw yesterday. Yeah, and Ashton, I think that's probably the general consensus when it comes to a majority of our crops, maybe albeit wheat crops this year. I mean, I think across the board, wheat is looking pretty unremarkable, pretty damaged, pretty dry. But I would say for corn, soybeans, and it sounds like cotton as well, I think there's a lot of variance across the nation. I think you're definitely right, Delaney. And we talked about that and the expectations of next week's Pro Farmer Crop Tour, and they're expecting a lot of variance in the fields up in Illinois. So I think we're really hitting the nail on the head. I agree, Ashton. I certainly agree there. But I want to, since we're talking crops, I want to go ahead and hear and dive into two different pieces of crop-related news, uh, one of which is we've got to talk about yesterday's crop progress report that came out yesterday afternoon. U.S. corn ratings showed some improvement with 64% of the crop now good to excellent conditions compared to last year when we were at 71% in good to excellent conditions. Soybean ratings were left unchanged. We still see about 60% of the U.S. crop in good to excellent conditions. Cotton ratings also received a pretty healthy boost sitting at 65% this week compared to 60% last week. And as of August 8th, the spring wheat harvest was reported at 38% complete compared to 17% the week prior. However, the winter wheat harvest, excuse me, the winter wheat harvest was reported at 95% complete. So we saw a little bit of change there for corn, no change in soybeans. And uh, overall, that is what has been reported there on that side of things. But I also wanted to mention two other quick pieces of news here, Ash, going right along in line with this. And that's looking at other countries' production. We saw Brazil's CONAB cut the country's corn production estimates again due to adverse weather degrading crops. In their 11th report for the 2020-2021 crop year, CONAB reported that Brazil's total corn production is going to reach only 86.7 million metric tons compared to 102.6 that we saw in 2019. And they also see the the second corn crop, the Safrina corn crop, to yield about 60 million metric tons down from the 67 million estimate we received last month. So we are seeing some significant reductions there from CONAB, which is Setting things up nicely, I think, here to have tight global supplies, which should theoretically push commodity markets up later on this year. It sounds like, you know, we've talked to quite a few analysts who expect that we're going to see prices chop sideways here heading into harvest. But post-harvest, I think we're going to start to really see things shore up here. See the fact that we don't have the crop in both Brazil and Argentina that we were originally predicting. And we may or may not have that crop here in the United States, Ashton. So I think we're setting ourselves up here for a nice bullish undertone heading into harvest. 
Well, Delaney, on the same note, kind of talking about crops and weather, I want to kick things over to France because their vineyards aren't looking too hot right now. Their wine production could drop by as much as 30% this year to its lowest level in decades after these vineyards were hit by spring frosts and summer downpours. The weather toll on the harvest could bring further headaches for French wine farmers that have seen demand dented over the past year by the coronavirus pandemic and U.S. tariffs, which kind of amazes me that they're going to see such this or they suspect that they're going to see such a low drop in production after the coronavirus pandemic, because, of course, that affected harvest and, and whatnot. So I am a little amazed at this first outlook for national wine output because the French Farm Ministry projected that this year's production was going to be between 32.6 million and 35.6 million hectoliters, which is 24 to 30% less than last year. And just to put things into perspective, a hectoliter is equivalent, just one hectoliter is equivalent to 133 standard wine bottles. So it's going to be a pretty large drop if you know, this does happen. And I'm suspecting that it will since they were hit not only by frosts, but then again, by these downpours this summer. Yeah, it certainly sounds that way. I'm, I'm glad you put that in perspective for us, Ashton, because hectoliters don't mean a whole lot for me, but I'm glad you put in the bottles perspective because I can picture that. Yeah, I don't typically drink French wine. I stick to Texas wine and support local. But if you are a French wine drinker, I'm not so sure that you're going to have a whole lot of choices come harvest time or after harvest time, I should say. Well, all right. We'll have to keep that one in our back pocket there, Ashton. But uh, I want to take things here back just momentarily to talk about another market impact we could see. And that's regarding exports. We saw a couple big export sales announced this morning by USDA. 182,800 metric tons of corn headed to Mexico. We also saw about 132,000 tons of soybeans headed to delivery for China and another 130,000 metric ton delivery headed delivery of soybeans headed for an unknown destination. So we're starting to see quite a bit of exports for both the 2021-2022 and even into the 2022-2023 marketing year be notated here. I think that's important to see that we are continuing to see some demand and we're starting to see some new demand here pick up from Mexico. So very exciting to see that support the markets. And I think that's really what's going to hold us here in place as we do head into harvest and maybe start to see some harvest lulls. Hopefully we continue to see these exports stay at pace and give us some positive uh, strength to the markets. Delaney, you bring up Mexico, and I want to talk about a new development in Mexico's relationship with Smithfield Foods. Back, oh, a couple of months ago, two months ago, I believe, Mexico stopped shipments or imports, I should say, of Smithfield's hog plant or from Smithfield's hog plant, excuse me, in North Carolina, but they are going to resume these shipments of pork products after blocking them so long ago after quality concerns. I don't remember if you remember talking about this, Delaney, but there was an issue that Mexico had with the skins, particularly on these pork products. So they stopped shipments completely, and now they're going to be back up and running over to Mexico. However, they are not going to allow meat produced from June 16th to August 
fifth. So the only products that Mexico was going to have shipped into them is those that have been produced on or after August 6th. So I'm, I'm glad that we are starting that relationship once again between Smithfield and Mexico. But I just think that it's still quite interesting, the issue that they had with these skins over quality concerns, but they're going to be back up and running here soon. Well, fantastic to hear there. If that's uh, something you're interested in, not particularly for me, <laughs> but uh, to each their own. Ashton, I have just one other question maybe two other quick pieces of news to share here. Looking over at the new Senate bipartisan infrastructure bill was released Tuesday and excuse me, $1 trillion Senate bipartisan infrastructure bill was passed on Tuesday in the Senate. This is the first of two infrastructure deals expected to receive a vote. Uh, but this bill includes about $2 billion allotted towards rural development programs such as telemedicine, broadband, and other things. It also includes about $550 million, excuse me, billion with a B, in new spending for roads, bridges, waterway, and railway projects, which could and should help our logistics to get product to and from. So the legislation passed with a bipartisan vote, 69 to 30, with about 19 Republicans joining. And in the House, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has threatened to not allow a vote on the bill until the Senate reconciles the infrastructure package. So we could see a little bit of a hold up there. There's basically two bills simultaneously being worked in both the House and the Senate. And so we will have to continue to watch and see how that one shakes out. But it does sound like there is support on both sides of the aisle for this infrastructure package. That is nice to hear there, Delaney. And I just have one other piece of news to talk about today, and it has to do with Proposition 12. And just as a refresher, I know, Delaney, that you and I are kind of familiar with this, but for our audience members who might not be, Prop 12 would mandate pork sourced from breeding pigs or immediate offspring of breeding pigs that are, quote, confined in a cruel manner cannot be sold in California. And it's set to go into effect January 1st of 2022. But Republicans, Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley, are co-sponsoring the Exposing Agricultural Trade Suppression Act, otherwise known as the EATS Act, to oppose Prop 12. The EATS Act comes after the North American Meat Institute filed a petition with the U.S. Supreme Court that challenged the constitutionality of Prop 12, and 20 states filed an amicus curiae brief supporting that petition. The act would keep each state from impeding the ag production and manufacturing of other states. In other words, each state has to basically mind its own business. It's consistent with the Commerce Clause of the Constitution, which says the federal government regulates interstate commerce and not other states. According to the Associated Press, only 4% of hog operations currently comply with this new rule, and California currently consumes 15%. So this could mean that Californians might not be bringing home this title for much longer if Prop 12 stands. I don't know, you know, if this EATS Act, when it goes, or if it would go into effect, I don't know what that would mean for California specifically, but I thought that this was very interesting because we've been following Prop 12 pretty closely, and this is just the latest development. 
Yeah, it certainly is. And I was just reading something, I want to say yesterday about this. And there are, it's it's being painted in an interesting light. How about that? Uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal or someone put out a big article about Prop 12. And they're not painting agriculture in a very pleasant light. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that it's coming down pretty hard on the ag industry when it comes to Prop 12. I think there's a, just a lot of people, consumers specifically, that don't quite understand what a you know breeding floor might look like for, for swine. And I don't know, just being on the back end of it, it angers me a little bit and makes me a little sad that there's not as much knowledge as I wish there was. But I don't know. I'm I'm going to be following this pretty closely just to see if we can't retaliate, I guess, against Prop 12. Retaliate, that sounds like a harsh word. So I don't know about that one. Yeah, well, so the article that I was reading was basically like, why has agriculture just tried to fight this? They knew this was coming and now none of them are prepared for it. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I understand what people are trying to say, but I don't think that the people writing this article, and I don't think people that are demanding producers, you know, switch their entire operations to be aligning with Prop 12, understand the the change that that causes for so many producers and the amount of infrastructure changes that would require and cost. So there's obviously some pretty big disconnect happening there. You make a good point, Delaney. I didn't even think about how much it would cost for everyone to, you know, just switch their operations around. And this is a system that's been instilled for, you know, decades. And just for it to all change like that, I think it would be definitely pretty major. But I am all out of news for today, Delaney. If you want to go ahead and talk about markets. I certainly do, Ashton. I certainly do. Because we had a little bit of a prettier picture here for a couple of markets. Most specifically, we saw soybeans and wheat Big things up today. Corn, however, did not. September corn closed down a penny to end at 549 and a quarter. The D's down a half a cent to close at 553 and a quarter. Soybeans today, as I mentioned, there had some green on the screen as the September contract added six and three quarters cents to close at 1348 and a quarter. The November up seven cents to close at 1336 and three quarters. And as I mentioned there, we also saw some strength today in the wheat markets, really across the board. But let's kick things off here in the spring wheat market, since that's been the one that has been the most fun to watch here as of late. September today up six and three quarters cents to close at 915 and a half. The D's up six and three quarters cents as well to close at 902 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock bits today, we saw pretty much strength across the cattle complex as the October cattle con live cattle contract added 65 cents to close at 128, 12 and a half. The D's up 50 cents to close at 133.40. In feeder cattle, here's where we had a little bit of mixed trade today with the September contract shedding just 15 cents to close at 163.05. The October up 15 to close at 165.85. In lean hogs today, we saw weakness as the October contract shed 72.5 cents to close at 83.87.5. The Dees down $1.12 and a half, excuse me, $1.25 to close at 77.52 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. September today up 70 cents to close at 17.28. The October up 49 to close at 17.62. Ashton, without further ado, kick us over to our today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Today we are talking to Dan Grotsky, talking about groundwork bioag. 
Well, today we have on the co-founder and the chief growth officer of Groundwork BioAg, Dan Grodsky. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Ashton. Nice to, nice to meet you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So before we get started talking about Groundwork BioAg, let's hear a little bit more about your background, Dan. Oh, sure. Um, well, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I, this is actually my fifth venture that I've co-founded. Um, I started off in uh, software, artificial intelligence, uh, information systems, that sort of thing. And um, in uh, 2008, I actually made the switch and uh, never looked back into, uh, into more sustainable uh, ventures, sustainability in general, and, uh, and more specifically into agriculture. And uh, so in Groundwork Bioag, uh, we, we founded in uh, 2014, so seven years ago. Awesome. I like that you put that you're a serial entrepreneur. I thought that that was a little funny. So I got a little chuckle this morning, Dan, but let's go <laughs> yeah, ahead. Serial killers and serial entrepreneurs. <laughs> it's, you know, you, you kind of have to be crazy for both, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, let's go ahead and get right into it when we're talking about groundwork bioag. I don't even know how to pronounce this. So I'm going to let you go ahead and, and talk about what it is that you guys are producing. <laughs> we produce uh, something called mycorrhizal inoculants. Okay, these are uh, products that are based on mycorrhizal fungi, and these are fungi that form symbiotic relationships with plants. Okay, so basically, the fungi help the plants to absorb nutrients in the soil, and uh, and when you apply it to agriculture, you get higher yields, you get uh, resistance, you get healthier plants, healthier soils. Uh, you can even save on fertilizer. So it's it's really good stuff. This is the way plants have been growing in nature for 400 million years. And I'm just taking a look at your website, and it's very interesting though the way that you describe this symbiotic relationship. Now, what kind of crops are you working with? Is it just specific to one thing, or is it really just a general thing that even you know hobby farmers might be able to use? Mm -hmm. um, so, ninety percent of all plant species associate with mycorrhizae. Okay, so they benefit from this uh, symbiosis with fungi. Um, and so that leaves a huge, huge market, as you can imagine. Um, and we, we focus uh, mostly on, on row crops, but also fruits and vegetables. Um, we also have a line for cannabis in the cannabis market. Um, but really where we, we have a um, very broad scope in terms of the crops that we can uh, address. So I'm, I'm sure that there's benefits for the farm, but there's also benefits from an environmental standpoint. Can we kind of mm -hmm. just dive into that a little bit more? Right. So, well, first of all, we're talking about completely natural products. As I said before, this is how plants grow in nature. And um, there, there are many benefits to using this product in terms of uh, the environment. As I mentioned before, you get higher yields and healthier soils um, and, and you get uh, resistance to stress. You're also getting savings on phosphorus fertilizer. So uh, you're reducing the, the chemical fertilizers that you can use. 
And uh, mycorrhiza even sequesters carbon. Um, so you can, you can get carbon sequestration and actually help uh, mitigate climate change while you're, while you're getting healthier crops and protecting your investment on your farm. Um, so all of this together is really a very robust combination of, of uh, features um, that, that uh, mycorrhiza can give you um, that, that protects not only your investment, not only your yields, um, but also the environment and, and your soils. So you mentioned earlier the different products that you guys have or, or the lines that you guys have. Let's go over the products a little bit because you have uh, like four or five that I'm seeing on your website. <laughs> yeah. So we have the, the different products really um, are categorized by application method. Um, and so, you know, in, in different cultivation methods, you'll want to apply our products differently. Um, the flagship product, uh, which uh, we can talk about today, I think, uh, is called Rutella X. The Rutella series is our agriculture series. Um, and Rutella X is our most concentrated product. And it's really meant for um, liquid applications or um, uh, in, in most cases for seed treatment applications. So um, when you're treating seeds with, you know, with whatever you're treating, uh, if, you're, if you're in row crops, this is usually a very uh, typical thing. Um, you can add Rutella X to your standard treatment. Um, it is an extremely concentrated uh, product. We're talking about 167,000 propagules per gram, which is unheard of on the market. Um, you know, I won't, I won't go into uh, what that means exactly, but, you know, people who actually know mycorrhizal products will, will be able to relate to that. And, and, um, and what that means is that you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. You're also getting a lot of bang on each seed. Um, so we can actually get the highest application rate on the market, which is a million propagules per acre by simply using six grams of Rutella X in your seed treatment. I want to compare that a little bit to maybe traditional fertilizer products because I'm not familiar with, you know, the fertilizer market or, of course, I'm not, you know, super familiar with what you guys are doing. So do you really know how this compares to traditional products? Sure. So um, the way the way I like to look at it is if fertilizer is is the food of the plant, then mycorrhiza is the spoon. OK, it, it makes that food more accessible to the plant, the, uh, the mycorrhiza will help the plant to absorb that, uh, that fertilizer and most notably phosphorus. Um, phosphorus become very quickly becomes unavailable to the plant because it binds to other organic molecules in the soil. And the, and the mycorrhiza can break down that phosphorus and actually mobilize it and bring it into the plant, no matter what form it's in. Um, so you, with phosphorus, you really get a very significant effect. Um, to put that into numbers, a non-mycorrhizal corn plant will absorb only about 15% of the phosphorus fertilizer that's applied, but a mycorrhizal corn plant will absorb up to 90% of that fertilizer. So you can save a bundle on your, on your phosphorus fertilizer, and you'll still get the same yields or even higher because the nutrient uptake is that much more efficient. 
So Dan, I want to talk about where you guys are available. Is this just something in the U.S. or you're all across the globe? We are. We're 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 selling in most of the world's bread baskets today. Uh, India, Brazil, Ukraine, U.S., Western Europe, uh, uh, Southeast Asia. Um, we're we're starting a little bit in Africa as well. So uh, we are really um, a, a fully global company from day one, as, as a lot of Israeli companies tend to be. Um, and we do have feet on the ground in the U.S. We have an office and we have uh, a warehouse in the U.S. Um, we have um, salespeople on the ground in Ohio. So, so it, it makes things very convenient for uh, American farmers to, uh, uh, to contact them, to be in touch, to get the, the personal uh, treatment. And, um, and the sky's the limit as far as I'm concerned. We're going to be covering 1 million acres uh, this year alone, um, which means, you know, which, which also entails a huge impact in, in, in terms of the, the yield increases, in terms of the uh, carbon sequestered, in terms of the phosphorus that's, that's uh, saved, um, but also in terms of just happy farmers. You know, it's, that's, what it, that's what it amounts to. At the end of the day, if, if your customers don't have smiles on your faces, then what have you done? And, uh, and ours seem to have them so far. <laughs> well, that's great to hear, Dan. And I'm glad that you mentioned some salespeople. So for our listeners, where can they go online to purchase these products or to, to learn more? Sure. Um, well, first of all, there's our website, which is www.groundworkbioag.com. Okay. Um, that's the, that's the first step, uh, for anybody groundworkbioag.com and, um, and all of the information is there really. You can, you can access any one of us. Our, our entire sales team is there, our distributors. Um, we have, uh, a distributor in Iowa, uh, called, uh, my yield. Um, they, uh, they distribute Rutella products as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it should be should be easy to we, we try to make it easy to to reach us and to and to purchase and to and to run a trial. I mean, you can easily try it out, see what it does on your farm, um, and then you know, and then take take a, a deeper dive when you're ready. Awesome. Well, Dan, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today again, and it's it's certainly been great to learn more about Groundwork BioAg. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks again there to Dan for coming on and talking to us. Things got a little scientific there, but I'm glad that it did because it's definitely some interesting things going on in the fertilizer realm. Yeah, absolutely, Ashton. Sounds like you had a great interview, great conversation there. So we, I certainly appreciate you taking over for me and filling in once again. But folks, Ashton's done a great job of lining up interesting interviews lately. So you do want to make sure you're staying in tune with us. If you haven't, if we've gotten any new subscribers as of late, make sure that you are hitting subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. So you hit those, get those notifications pinged to you when we post new episodes daily. You can also follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.